parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hey friends, welcome back. Today's episode is the second in my four-week summer series where I am giving you the tools, the strategies, and the perspective to have an awesome summer with your child. Now, if your child is not quite school-age yet or is homeschooled or for whatever other reason, the school situation is not relevant to you, these episodes are still going to be so valuable. The topics that I'm covering are things that you're going to need to know about whether or not your child is specifically home from school for the summer. But I am going to talk about these things in the context of having kids home for the summer because my guess is many of you are in that situation. I know that we are almost there ourselves. So today's episode is going to be all about managing screen time because I don't think we can honestly talk about having our kids home for the summer without also covering screen time. And spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you how to use screens in a way that works for your family and works for your child instead of telling you not to use them. So hopefully that eases your mind a little bit. I'm a realist. I don't hate screens. I'm not going to tell you not to do screen time. We're going to jump into all of the best practices around having a healthy relationship with screens in your home. But I also wanted to tell you that next week, we're going to talk about encouraging independent play because that is truly the most important thing your child can do while home over the summer. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about supporting siblings in having a great summer together and managing sibling dynamics. Now, if you have an only child, that episode is still going to be helpful because your child, I'm sure, has social interactions with other kids. And so all of the stuff I'm talking about will be applicable to your child playing with other kids, even if they don't have siblings. So stay tuned for those. And if you missed it, last week's episode was all about reframing how we see boredom and why you don't need to push academics over the summer. So go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. Also, if you haven't yet downloaded your copy of Six Mindset Shifts to Transform Your Parenting, go and grab that today. These mindset shifts truly are game changers. This resource is totally free, and I even included a page that you can literally print out and carry with you so that you have a reminder in hard moments. RaisedResilient.com forward slash mindset. Okay, so let's talk screen time. So Screen use in kids gets a lot of bad press. There have been studies that connect screen use to things like attention difficulties and aggressive behaviors. And of course, none of us want our kids to struggle, right? We don't want to expose them to something that's going to harm them. So I think what this does a lot of times is creates this guilt for parents where we feel like we can't use screens and that we're bad parents if we do. So let me just ease your mind right now. You are not a bad parent for using screens in your home. I actually think screens have a lot of valuable things to offer our kids, but there's a way to use them that is healthy. And there are some things that we might do that would be less helpful. So 
I'm going to give you some best practices on how to use screens in your home so that hopefully these guidelines can help you make decisions about screens that feel good for you. Because that's my goal. I want to empower you instead of making you feel like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And I think there's a whole lot of information out there that is saying you shouldn't be doing this. So I don't actually agree with that. And I think raising kids in 2022 and beyond, screens are all around us. And so we've got to be teaching them how to have a healthy relationship with technology. We can't just say don't use it because that's not reality. I don't know about your child, but my child has a school-issued laptop in second grade. So even at school, screens are all around our kids all the time. And again, we've got to help them learn how to have a healthy relationship with technology as opposed to being afraid of introducing them to technology. So instead of feeling afraid to use screens, I want to empower you to use them in a way that works for you and your child and your family. So the first thing that we can do to help our kids have a healthy relationship with screens and technology is to model healthy screen habits ourselves. Our kids are watching us all the time. I talk all the time on this podcast about the importance and the power of modeling. So if we're limiting our kids' screen time and we're telling them, you know, too much screen time is not great for your brain and we're doing all of those things, and yet we are constantly phone in hand or staring at a computer, we are modeling to them that these devices rule our lives. Now, I know that's hard. Social media is literally created to keep you scrolling. These companies want you to have your eyes on the content on their platforms for as long as possible. And so our brains, as adults even, have been rewired to look for constant gratification and a constant scroll. So if you are constantly phone in hand or constantly checking your device, you are not alone. A couple weeks ago, I actually found myself checking my phone at a red light. And I had this thought, I said, why am I checking my phone at a red light? Like there's nothing important enough going on today that I need to do that. And of course, if we're checking it at a red light, it's really easy to keep looking at it as we start driving. I had this moment where I just said, what am I doing? And so I tried to consciously leave my phone in one spot in the house and use it only when I needed it. And just putting my energy there, I haven't done a perfect job, but for example, I leave it downstairs when I go and nurse my daughter. I used to bring my phone with me because it became a habit and I was constantly staring at it. And so now I just leave it downstairs and I have that time, just me and her. And it's not me staring at a screen. It's so easy to constantly have our phones with us. So if you can just leave your phone away from you and only pick it up when you need it when you're at home, that's amazing. If you can't do that, maybe you need your phone for work or for whatever reason, maybe just designate some screen-free times for the whole family. For example, long before we had kids, I made a rule that my husband thankfully agreed with. I said, no phones at the dinner table. And that's something that we have done even when it was the two of us. And now with our kids, nobody gets devices at the table unless it's like a special family movie night where we're eating dinner and watching a movie. That has made our dinner times so special. They are such wonderful times to connect. Don't get me wrong. I live in reality. Sometimes there 
are stressful dinners too. But in general, we spend that time talking to each other and not staring at a screen. Creating those habits and expectations in your family early is so powerful. So where you can model phone-free, device-free time for your kids. I remember I accidentally left my phone at home a few months ago to go to a family gathering. And the whole way there, I was like, oh, I don't have my phone. I can't take any pictures. And I was so frustrated that I left it at home. And that ended up being one of the best days I've had in a while. Just completely being in the moment. No, I didn't take pictures, but I got pictures from other people. And guess what? I was in some of them for once. So win-win all around. So where you can, just put your phone somewhere else and try to be in the moment. Again, if we don't consciously plan for this, our phones will start to take over. So that's my first tip. My second tip is to know the age-appropriate daily time limits. Now, you do not have to stick to these perfectly. I do not stick to these perfectly, okay? This is not a science. This is based on some science, but it is not going to be exact, and that's okay. There is no such thing as perfect parenting. I will say that as many times as you need to hear it. But if you can, try to stick to these guidelines. So they say that under age two, really we shouldn't be doing screens with these kids unless it's video chatting with family who doesn't live in their household. And honestly, that's pretty much what I have stuck with with my kids because at that age, they're not even really that interested. Now, my youngest is 15 months and she does have two older brothers who watch screens all the time. So sometimes there are screens on in the background, right? But she's not sitting down and watching a screen. I'm not putting that on to entertain her. So under age two, especially if you only have a toddler, don't introduce screen time. There's no reason to, right? Age two to five, they say up to an hour. Ages six to 10, up to one and a half hours. And ages 11 plus, up to two hours. Now, again, your child is exposed to screens at school. Your child is going to be exposed to screens just in your home. So this is, we're talking about dedicated time with a device, playing video games, watching TV. And again, these are the guidelines. You won't stick to these perfectly, but knowing them can be helpful to just try to keep things close to this. My third tip is to preview new content when you can, before showing it to your kids. So young kids are still learning about basic life and social concepts. And I'm talking about toddlers and preschoolers, right? They're still learning how to literally be a person. They're still learning about basic things like when I get up, I brush my teeth, right? They're not ready for intense good guy, bad guy conflict. And that's what a lot of shows are showing our kids. So just Be aware of the kind of content your child is consuming and try to ensure that it's developmentally appropriate. So for our really young kids, for our three-year-olds, our older two-year-olds, right? Daniel Tiger, Mr. Rogers, Sesame Street, Bluey. These are all great shows that revolve around normal day-to-day activities. Wild Kratz is a great one as your child gets to that three to five age range Now, I'm not going to laundry list all of the shows that you can show your child, but those are just some examples of some really great content that you can show your kids. 
you know your child best. So you're the best judge of what's going to be appropriate for your child. But I remember a few years back, my oldest accidentally watched Brave. And I say accidentally because I didn't put it on for him. I'm not sure if my partner did, but I don't think we were really fully aware of what was going on. Again, two years ago was the pandemic and we were just surviving. But he somehow watched Brave and he had nightmares about that bear for months. And we had to spend so much more time undoing the damage that him watching something that scary to him did, right? Now, I'm not talking about intensive damage. I am saying, though, that there were many nights that we had to sit with him in his room and help him through those feelings because of this movie. And again, what scares my child might not be scary to your child, but just being aware of the concept of developmentally appropriate content, where you can, limiting content that is super fast moving and flashy because that can be overstimulating for kids' brains, right? So we want slower moving content where we can. That's much more developmentally appropriate for young kids. And then as your child grows, you know, my oldest is going to be eight and he does play video games. He loves Minecraft and he and my husband play together. And sometimes on the weekends, we consciously go over those screen time limits because he and my husband are building a world together in Minecraft. And he has shown us through his behavior and through his demeanor that he can handle that and that it's actually really fun bonding time with his dad. So you get to be the judge. You know your child best. But these are just some guidelines to help you make these choices. Now, this one's really important. This is my fourth tip, and I stand by this one. Do not use screens as a response to bored or really any feelings. When we turn on a TV to distract our kids from their sad feelings or to fix boredom, we are creating a habit we do not want to create. So in general, we don't want our kids to be distracted from their feelings, right? We want to allow space for those feelings. We want to encourage those feelings to come out for as long as they need to. And with boredom, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go check it out. But essentially I said that we don't need to fix boredom. Boredom is actually really wonderful and healthy, and we need to let our kids be bored. If we put on TV every time they are bored, we are going to completely stifle their creativity and independent play. And you are not going to want to stifle independent play because quite honestly, that's going to be a great opportunity for you to get things done while your child is getting some very important developmental needs met. So that's a win-win situation. And if we cut that off at the knees, we are going to regret it. So don't use screens as a response to feelings, full stop. This one is, again, probably the most important thing because when we do this, we create patterns that are going to be self-perpetuating. The more we use TV as a response to feelings and especially boredom, the more our kids are going to struggle when they feel bored and ask for screen time. The more we're going to have battles around screen time, the more we're going to have our kids begging and us saying no, power struggles, meltdowns. Now, again, all of that can be very normal and healthy, but we don't want to create situations where that's happening more than it needs to. So don't use screens to fix feelings. Don't fix feelings at all. Okay, so my fifth tip is to plan time in your daily schedule for screen use. Schedule it in. This way your child knows when it's coming And you're not going to be dealing with a situation where your child is begging for it all day. Now, you might still have your child ask, 
but then you can say, yep, we're going to do screens right after lunch like we do every day. Especially when you have your child home from school for the summer, this is so important. I remember for me as a kid, we had screen time for an hour every day at lunch during summer break. And I remember looking forward to that. We would have a picnic lunch on the living room floor and we would watch our shows. And that was just a fun part of our summer day. And that was it. That was our screen time. I think maybe we sometimes had a little bit more screen time as my mom made dinner, but that was our scheduled time to have screen time. And I know for me as a kid, that felt really good to know, okay, I'm going to get to watch TV at this time every day. So where you can, and again, I talked about this last week, flexible, loose routine, not rigid schedule. So of course this can change, but where you can schedule time for screen time so that your child knows what to expect. Okay. Another thing that can be really helpful is to create a pre-screen time checklist. So this is something we do in our house. So our kids know that in order to have their screen time, now we do schedule it. We schedule it for when my daughter's napping. So win-win because we get to get some things done, but we let our kids know ahead of time. You've got to brush your teeth, make your bed, get dressed, move your body and do something creative. So that something creative could be building a setup with dinosaurs in their room. Really what we mean by that is to play, right? So they need to move their body and do something creative. It's basically just getting ready for the day and then some exercise and some play. And they know that those things have to be done before they get screened on a non-school day. On school days, we do things a little bit differently. And I have a different checklist, right? Where they have to get some exercise. They have to take a bath and get their pajamas on. And then they can have a half an hour of screen time while I make dinner. So it's a little bit different for school days, but when they're home for the summer or on weekends, that is our plan. We say, you've got to do these things and then you can have screen time while your sister naps. So that takes the power struggle out of this whole, but I want screens, but I need you to clean your room. It helps your child be in control, right? It gives them some agency. Well, when your checklist items are done, then you can have screen time. So, and you don't even have to necessarily schedule it in. If it works better for your child to get their hour of screen time, as soon as their checklist items are done, you can do that. But in our house, we combine the schedule with the checklist and it works really well. So that's another idea that you can try. My second to last tip here is to balance screen time with sensory input. Now, this isn't something I even realized was a thing before I had my own kids, But I would notice that after screen time, we would have so many more meltdowns than usual. And I started to blame the screens. I would think, oh, I shouldn't have done screen time. This is awful. I'm a bad mom. Why did I do that? But the reality is that screens, the constant visual processing required to watch screens shuts off, essentially. It like switches off a part of your child's brain. And that's the part of your child's brain that manages emotions and has an awareness of your child's body in space. That part of your child's brain is essentially switched off so that the brain can focus completely on the visual processing required of a screen. So when screen time ends, your child almost has this like buildup of emotional energy and a need to move. So what we do 
and this has been a game changer. We build movement in both before and after screen time. It doesn't need to be anything fancy, right? It might be a walk around the block or we might go to the pool or I might just send the kids outside and let them play. But we build movement in before and after screen time. Now, like I said, for my kids, the movement before screen time is a checklist item. So you could do it that way. Or you could just have like a one minute dance party before your child sits down to watch a show. But balance screen time with sensory input. That is so, so important. Preload your child with movement before screens and build in movement after. That will help reduce screen-related meltdowns so much. And then my last tip for you is to help ease the transition when it's time to be done. Because of how screens affect children's brains, it's genuinely hard for them to end screen time. They are not just overreacting. This is actually a really difficult transition. So expect big feelings and protest. Just plan for it. Allow space for that. Give your child a few reminders that the transition is coming and try to time the transition to coincide with a natural breaking point like the end of a show. Think about it. You would be super annoyed if your partner came down and shut off your show in the middle of it because it was time to go to bed, right? We want to make sure that where we can, and this is not always possible, but where we can, we're timing the end of screen time with a natural breaking point. And then sit down next to your child. Ask what's happening in the show. Connect with your child. Enter your child's world. Again, like I talked about in the episode on getting kids to listen, cooperation requires connection. So connect with your child. Show interest in what they're watching. And then, again, even if you've done all those things, expect big feelings, and protest. Your child might still have a meltdown, even if you do everything right. So allow feelings. Say, you really want to keep watching. I get that. And if the words are too much and they're dysregulating, just be calm and present. But don't extend screen time to avoid the feelings, right? Again, it's not your job to fix feelings. So, Those are my tips for doing screen time in a way that works for your child, that works with their development, and that hopefully works for your family too. Just take from this list what is helpful. You can leave what is not helpful. But these are kind of my best practices for using screens in a healthy way. So I hope this is helpful and stay tuned for the next two episodes in my four-week summer series. So next week is going to be all about how to encourage independent play. And then we're going to talk about sibling dynamics. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you next week. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.